Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today once again. What a treat by Meredith. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for staying for two hours. Of course. When you were only supposed to stay for one hour today. Hi. Guys, I realized last minute that I can't record on Sunday because mm. I'm going to be at a friend's shoot all day. Really? And then I have improv stuff in the PM, so... Important activities, yes. you know? You're going to get busy, so I'm we're front-loading. Please forgive lady. us. Uh, yes, so if we're a little behind on the news, it's because we're recording this Monday episode on a Thursday. So I'm sure a bunch of shit went down over the weekend. Right. We will get to it later in the week. Happy Labor Day also. Happy Labor Day, yes. Uh, what up, workers? That's, mm -hmm. that's how we honor them, right? Yeah, that is exactly right. <laughs> what up, workers? Uh, so while we are in the pop culture section, I know, Meredith, I asked you last week, a.k.a. an hour ago, yep. what uh, you're watching, listening to, reading right now that you'd like re to recommend to people. But I was wondering if there was anything else. Uh, okay, well, starting in a few days, you will be able to watch The Purge, the television show. <gasps> Okay, I uh, so I'm pretty psyched about that, and I can't I can't recommend it because I haven't seen it. However, I totally can recommend it because I've come been, on, I've also been asking people in the recommendation zone. We can't call it that pop culture section. <laughs> <laughs> what they're looking forward to. Mm -hmm. So that's totally so, valid. That's good. Well, I also have another one. The um. Well, before you get that okay. one, the Purge TV show, I'm a little nervous because part of what made the movie so cool, I mean, and I mean, maybe it got more this way as the movies uh, went on, but they were a diverse cast mm -hmm. and the TV series looks uh, like a lot of white people. It does look like a lot of white people. It also looks like they're leaning into the element that gets alluded to in most of them where it's inside the power structure that assumes the purge like participating in the purge is required to be a member of the ruling class mm. um and so if you're not purging that means you like don't really believe in the project of the new founding fathers so i feel like the social pressure of like someone who's poor but has the opportunity one of the storylines mm. is definitely that there's like a working class person yeah. who has the opportunity to like make it to the next level economically and socially but in order to do that, he has to buy into the purge rhetoric. And so these questions, I think there are some people doing the resistance, but yes, I think I'm, I'm nervous about it too, but I'm still going to watch it because I love those movies. Can I ask a question about the purge? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know a lot about the mythology of it because I only yeah. saw one movie. Do the rich people kill people themselves? Yes. The whole point is that the rich people, like you... Every, like all crime is legal for one 12 hour right. period. And then that means that people are allowed to do whatever to get out there, supposedly get out their aggression and their negative feelings. So a lot of rich people do end up purging. And so in one of them, uh, it becomes, it's, it gets shown that rich families will pay poor people and people of color to offer themselves up and then be killed by those families. So instead of okay, going that out, I, yeah, that yeah. I buy. Like, so like the, the only thing, of, yeah, <laughs> the only thing I found hard to believe was that rich people would do anything themselves. Mm. No, the the thing is, is that instead of they don't go out to purge. So okay. the question is, like, they basically get purge delivery. That okay, that's interesting. So like, you know, you have. Uh, or they they meet and they have like a special purge mass and yeah, also yeah, like I a lot of, of the members because yeah. in election year they have like a sort of midnight mass where that's they end the up one, killing that's people what I yeah. Remember. yeah yeah um, and so that's part of it as well um, so there's if they're doing it in the comfort of their own home in a situation where they've decided like okay you're desperate so your family can be provided for if you come to our house and we like machete you. Together, like See, together I think as a rich family. people would have poor people of color volunteer come to their homes and then they would hire other poor people of color to kill those people of color. But like if the whole point is they're supposed to be you getting to out of their yourselves. negativity and aggression, like wouldn't they, they're doing it because they buy into the concept and then also like want to do it because like. But wouldn't it also be cathartic like in this imaginary world for rich people to know that like they were the driving force behind it happening? Well, but they are the driving force behind it happening because right. they were the ones that created it. So they have the power to coerce others into killing each other, know that they can be safe, and then also get the benefit of playing most dangerous game 
uh, with whoever they feel like. I'm just laughing because I'm like, I don't know why I'm pretending this is so hard to believe in a world <laughs> where Dick Cheney is a person. Like, I Dick mean, Cheney would a thousand percent gleefully participate in the purge. <laughs> there are all kinds of rich people you know would murder. You know the Trump sons would totally murder oh a poor God. person if yeah. it was allowed. Like, of course, of I've course. seen those hunting videos. Like, yeah, true, like anybody true. who's willing to kill a fucking elephant is definitely a person who would be like oh I love this and it's just like another version of high level hunting that is a good point yes I also think that there's like you know there's a slightly uh classist like bit of assumptions in uh like in in these questions because you have to say oh well then is it only the poor people who feel like they need to resort to violence because of their like that I feel like entitled people are so um averse to any kind of work and that includes like physically exerting themselves to kill someone oh yeah that but they would like, they're they're mostly like used to paying people to do anything not that sure. violence is just you know so uh, no i mean i think these are definitely people who are very much the allison williams in get out kind of pe- sure, people sure, not sure. like uh they're not like you know the lotus eaters like on a, you yes. know, lounging on a settee, hopped up on laudanum kind of rich people. Sure. Okay. Um, so yeah. The Purge the TV purge. show. Uh, also, I just saw that in the upcoming Telluride Film Festival is going to be the world premiere of Karen Kusama's new movie, Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Karen Kusama is the director of that unbelievably creepy movie, The Invitation. Right. Oh, that yeah. is a good film. And if you haven't seen The Invitation, highly recommend. I think we've discussed it on the show before, but she's got a new one coming out, and I think it's got Nicole Kidman in it and okay. a couple other actors, but it I don't know anything about it, but after how great The Invitation was and how talented she is as a filmmaker, I'm super excited for I it. I also love me some Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah. Like, I know she kind of froze her face, but she's still an incredible actress. Yeah, she's fantastic, and, you know, yeah. after putting up with Tom Cruise for that long I sort Oof, of bless I'm so I don't know Nicole Kidman obviously imagine if I kept that secret from you guys for oh this my god long. yeah by the way I'm best you were just buds yeah <laughs> I'm just like I'd be like you're not Naomi Watts don't lie to me <laughs> I wish uh uh how she was in this terrible relationship with Tom Cruise for so many years and now she's just seems like she's genuinely happy with mm-hmm. Keith Urban yeah. and Keith Urban seems like a genuinely lovely dude yeah. and I'm just really happy for them. They get to live in Nashville. She's got a chill bro of a husband that doesn't seem to want to like do any of yeah. the weird creepy stuff. She seems like, very chill. Yeah, yeah. The, she got yeah. a real raw deal with the way people just like treat her when it comes to her children that she adopted with Tom Cruise yeah. although given that they're brainwashed in Scientology and have been uh, convinced that she's a uh, whatever like a, <laughs> I mean whatever a, the equivalent of, oh, sorry, of the suppressive devil. person a suppressive person um, yeah they're strange yeah. but like you know what you do what you can and like she's got other kids now I think that yeah she's great I love her when I was younger people used to tell me I look like her and I don't think I do at all I got hey, that too like, when I had red hair when mm-hmm. I was younger yeah yeah I think it's just that we're very pale Oh, yeah. That's what they were trying to say. There's, we're very pale. You're very pale like Nicole Kidman. Thank yeah. you. I, I like, would still oh. take it as a compliment. Yeah. So you got it with red hair. I got it with blonde hair. But that was around the Moulin Rouge era. So I suppose that all made sense. I get uh, Amy Adams now. Mm, I get when I have red done. hair. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, a uh, pale girl with big green eyes. Yep. Oh, I haven't watched um, Dead Girl Town. What's it? The uh, Sharp Objects. Yeah. <laughs> But I really need to. Yeah, I listen. <laughs> it's a divisive show. Uh, I've said this before on this podcast because there are people whose opinions I really respect who hated it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It's it's over the top. It's super dark. It is, yeah, Dead Girl Town. Yeah. But I think it's great. Amy Adams is wonderful. I will say, watch it through that last episode. Watch it through till like the credits are done. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I still have access to my ex's HBO Now account, so I was kind of thinking that I would like finish Barry and then watch Sharp Objects before I like delete off. that from past. <laughs> yeah, I was like really just trying to get in there right away. Yeah. <laughs> you should definitely do that. Oh, hi, hi Harley. Harley. Harley's visiting us, guys. If you don't follow Harley, uh, this apartment's resident dog, she has a Twitter account, Harley 
Rockwell. She's Charles's dog. She's cute as a little fucking button, even though she poops in the house. Oh, Harley. We've been pooping inside. Unacceptable little girl. Well, now I feel a little bit different about the fact that she's sitting on my lap right now (laughs) like a cutie. I think think her butt's clean now. Oh, well, that's good. (laughs) I mean, as a dog owner, I just expect animals to come sit on me and I should be more concerned about like whatever things they've been eating. I've seen Rosie eat her own poop, so I know this happens, but... You know, yeah, you can't be perfect, even if you are incredibly cute. We had a, a handyman come to the apartment the other day, and he was like, wow, so many pets. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess we do. We have a dog and two cats. I guess that's a lot for an apartment. There's three people in this place, and you have, you know, plenty of, you've just not too we many We do have pets a lot of space. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like we're overcrowded. Yeah. So uh, was there anything else I wanted to recommend that I've been listening to? Very excited to start the Harry Potter audiobooks, as I said mm-hmm. on the last episode we recorded. Uh, oh, man, I know I already recommended this, but I'm so excited. Unspooled is doing The Sixth Sense. Oh, I can't wait to listen. I'm so excited. So anything else you want to wreck or you're looking forward to? Um, Gosh, is there anything? Oh, well, this is a really long time uh, from now. Okay. It's not until December, but you and I are going to see <gasps> Mitski. Mitski, I'm so excited. Meredith uh, was visiting home and texted me. And was like, do you want to go see Mitski in December? And I was like, oh, I was at a wedding. (laughs) And I was sharing a hotel room with Faith. And I had been playing Mitski's new album. And Faith was like, this is really good. And I'm like, I'm obsessed with it. And then you, so you texted me and you were like, do you want to go see her in December? I was like, fucking yes, I do. Yeah. By the way, if you're a new Light Treason news listener, Mitski was on our pilot episode. Yeah. She was a great interview. Yeah. We talked a lot about uh, horror and urban legends, but interestingly in like Asian culture, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, as a Westerner, I am not well versed in. And it was really interesting. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah I so remember really loving that. Guys, if you don't follow our SoundCloud page, you should do that. And they have a spotlight feature at the top of the page where we have some of uh, our best interviews with like Mitski, Boots Riley, people like that. So go listen to those. They're a good time. Also, we're a 100% listener-supported show. What does that mean? Well, it means without your support, I can't keep doing my trees and news, and that would suck. Do you really want these pets to be hungry? Did, oh, should I start doing like, I will remember you? No, everyone knows that as soon as you invoke Sarah McLaughlin, that makes people turn, it makes them throw whatever they're <laughs> listening to on. Okay, fine. Can't. I'm just going to start to like post sad photos of Harley and the cats. Yeah. Why do you hate them? Mm -hmm. Well, if if you just post pictures of Penny in outfits... <laughs> looking furious. Guys, like, I, guys, I promise you, don't do you that. new photos of Penny in little outfits. If you go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button, sign up for as little as $5 a month or a one time donation. I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, where you can get all kinds of bonus content like writing and my little uh, side project podcast, The Window. We're also going to have bonus episodes up there where we talk about shows in depth like Riverdale uh, and other shows. And yeah, I'm very excited about that. So go sign up there for as little as $1 a month. $5 a month, you get to send questions while I answer on Light Trees and News. $10 a month, we do an online hangout that's ever so much fun. Mm. Where, speaking of pets, we share pet photos, talk about movies we're watching right now. It's very fun. So don't miss out on all that stuff. Don't sleep on it, guys. Guys, it's a Monday episode, which means I have a great new interview for you. This time it's with Sarah Merck, who you should follow on Twitter right now, at Sarah, with an H, Merck, M-I-R-K. She was previously an editor at The Nib, which is a great source for political comics. If you don't follow them, you should. She also previously was a contributor at Bitch Media. She's now a teacher at PSU and the University of Pennsylvania. So do follow her. She's a very smart funny lady and yeah please enjoy the interview (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview inside your very, very hot car. <laughs> That's totally fine. I appreciate it. Um, so I've been checking in with people about stuff they're like reading or listening to or watching right now that's you know making them happy in the midst of all the bullshit going on Mm -hmm. so uh let's start with i hear i i sent you this message and i was like what you're reading and you were like oh boy i'm reading a lot (laughs) which is an awesome answer but i guess let's start with what are you reading right now well i always i'm a voracious reader i love to read i i would say reading is my vice like what I was, I'm, I'm supposed to be working, I'll pick up a book and then I'll just read the book cover to cover and it'll be like 6 p.m. and I'll be like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so this last month, um, I've been writing a sex ed book for teenagers, for high school libraries. So I've been reading a ton of sex ed books and out of the whole stack of maybe 15 sex ed books, my absolute favorite that I recommend for adults is the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Have you heard of this book? No. So Come As You Are is a guide to female sexuality and vulvas and how your brain and uh, body work together in terms of sexuality, specifically targeted toward women. And Emily Nagoski is a doctor who is a counselor at Smith College, and so she has a lot of experience working with women. And even as somebody who's read a lot about sexuality, this book had a lot of new information for me, and it just presented it in a way that was like, oh, this makes sense so much of sexuality is not in your body. It's in your brain. Mm. It's not about your genitalia. It's about what's going on in your brain and how you're feeling about it. And that really predicts uh, how you approach sexuality and uh, how you feel about yourself. So I really recommend Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. And it's a great guide for adults, I think, who are feeling like, ugh, why am I like still so uptight about sex? Or mm. why am I not having the kind of sex that I want or why can't I have an orgasm and I'm 35. So that's what she aims for. That's so interesting. Um, What, uh, what led you to writing your own book, like your sex ed book for teenagers? You know, I wrote a sex, like a a sort of a book about dating and sexuality for adults a few years ago. It's called sex from scratch, making your own relationship rules. And it was really about dating more than sex because when I was in my mid twenties, I was looking at, you know, I was in relationships and being like, how do you decide to break up with somebody? How do you decide who to date? How do you decide to be monogamous or non-monogamous? Like, how do you make these decisions? And I would go to the dating section of the bookstore because like I said, I'm a voracious reader. So I'm always looking for the book that has the answer. <laughs> and the dating books are just horrible. Like, yeah, dating books yeah. are like Dating books are like the black hole of the bookstore where you're like embarrassed to be and the books are like very gendered, they're very binary, they're very old school. A lot of the best-selling dating books in the United States are basically like The Skinny Bitch's Guide to Getting a Man <laughs> or like the like the Pickup Artist's Guide to like emotionally manipulating women into sleeping with you. Mm. And I was like I don't want to I don't want to emotion I don't want to manipulate anybody. I don't even I'm not goal-oriented about relationships. I don't like want to snag a man for marriage right you know I just want to date people who make me feel happy I want to feel healthy I want to feel good so I wrote that dating and sexuality book called sex from scratch um, based on interviews with about a hundred people about their relationships across the United States so because I'd written that um, publisher approached me and said that they were looking for a book for high school libraries about dating and sexuality for teens so this has to be like a pretty straightforward nonfiction book uh there's not a lot of jokes in there. <laughs> it's not like funny or flippant. It's like, kids, here's the facts. Right. But also, right. it's all centered around consent. It's centered around everybody is normal. Everybody is different. So that's the big question that teens always have. It's like, am I a freak? And the answer sure. is no. Or or the answer is we're all freaks. <laughs> we're all freaks, yeah. I mean, human, humanity is defined by diversity, Yeah. you know? Every single, that's like the only thing we all have in common in terms of sexuality is that we're all entirely different. Right, right, (laughs) yeah. Nobody's body looks the same. Nobody's genitalia works the same way. Nobody's sexuality works the same way. It's hard to say anything universal about human sexuality except that we are all totally different. Right, Uh, that's so interesting. Um, So what else are you reading? Because I know you're reading more than one thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Another 
a book that's coming out this month that I absolutely love and have been waiting to have come out for a year um, is by the author Thomas Page McBee, and it's called Amateur. Do you know Thomas Page McBee's work? I don't. Oh, he's awesome. So Thomas Page McBee is a transgender man and also a boxer, and he lives in New York. And his first book is called was called Man Alive. And it was really a heartfelt memoir about coming to terms with being trans and coming to terms with what it means to be a man. Because, like, roles and uh, images of masculinity in our culture are so screwed up and so bad mm. that if you're like, okay, I'm a man, what does that mean? How can I be a man in a not screwed up, terrible way? Who do I even look to as a role model? How do I make myself be the kind of man that I think I want to be in society? Um, so that's what Man Alive was about. And his second book, Amateur, comes out this month and is about him dealing with feelings of violence. He's mm -hmm. training. He starts training to become a boxer and actually has a match lined up at Madison Square Garden. He becomes the first trans man to box at Madison Square Garden. And the whole time he's like, why do I have this anger in me? And how do I express this anger? And how is that gendered? Like, why is there so much masculine violence in our country and in the world and how can we deal with those feelings of anger and those feelings of violence differently so that we don't go around punching each other in the face all the time right yeah. <laughs> like, you're at a boxing gym and you're supposed to be punching people in the face um <laughs> so it's it's a really beautiful intimate book that i think really like you know gets into his head it gets into his heart and it, it grapples with a lot of questions that um, people are bringing up right now and wondering about. Mm, very interesting. So what are you, you're reading a lot, so I don't know how much time you have to, to watch and listen to stuff, but what are you watching right now that's bringing you joy? <laughs> well, uh, the thing I'm watching the most right now is RuPaul's Drag Race. Hell yeah. 10. Hell yeah. Uh, it's probably been recommended a million times. <laughs> Let me just say it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really fun, and I had stayed away from watching Drag Race in part because it was so popular that I was like, it can't be that good. <laughs> <laughs> and also because there's, like, some problematic things about the show. Sure. Like, transgender issues are not always dealt with very well in the show, and there's just a bunch of – I've read a lot of pushback against the show. Um, but then I was just – I was reading about some of the drag queens on the show this season, and I was like, wow, I want to see this. I want to see what it's like. And to me, this – this season especially is very like um, sincere and like deals with a lot of big emotional issues interspersed with like absolutely fabulous musical numbers. And so it's one of those shows that actually hits really hard in addition to being really entertaining. And I, I challenge you to get through the entire season without crying even once. Oh man. <laughs> every person's story on the show is just like <gasps> straight to the heart. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, those shows are designed for people like me. I'll be in tears instantly. Um, and then finally, before we have to free you from the hot, hot car, um, <laughs> is there anything you're listening to right now? And that could be like music, podcasts, anything like that. Okay. I have one podcast recommendation and one music recommendation. Great. So the podcast I want to recommend is called Making Gay History. It's hosted by Eric Marcus. And Making Gay History was is a book of oral histories that Eric Marcus researched and put together in 1989, which now feels like forever ago sure. in the bygone eras. So in 1989, Eric Marcus went around and interviewed a lot of the uh, LGBT activists who um, had done a ton of work in the 1930s through the 1970s and weren't really getting any recognition. At that time, think like early 90s, like queer history wasn't part of the mainstream conversation. Mm. And so he went around and interviewed um, a, a just like as many activists as he could find and put together this astounding book called Making Gay History that I read when I was in high school and just blew my mind and like really expanded my horizons. And now he's using those oral histories for a podcast, which is also called Making Gay History. And if you want to feel like we are resilient and we will survive and we like will support each other through any hard times. That is such a good show mm. because you just hear in people's own voices about the hardship they dealt with growing up and how they made it through and how they 
built communities to support each other when nobody else would support them. Wow. And that, I think, is a really important message for right now during the Trump era when everyone's just sort of feels like we're flailing around like chickens with our heads cut off. And it's important to remember that like like marginalized people around the country have been supporting each other and organizing against oppression for as long as we have human history. Right. And making gay history really just like just hits on that note a lot. Very so finally, cool. My, my music recommendation is not a one band or one song, but um, actually a website, which is called Radio. It's radio, but it has five O's on the end. <laughs> radio. Oh, 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 oh. And it's such a cool site. What they are doing is collecting music from all over the world by decade. So on this website, it's just a map of the world with every country on it. And you can click on a country and click on a decade and it will play you a random song from that decade and that country. So I've been listening to a lot of like Italian music from the 1960s and like Mexican doo-wop from the 1950s. And it's just really cool because I didn't know anything about any of these bands. I didn't know anything about 1950s Mexican doo-wop. And you can just like be like, geez, I wonder what was going on at music in Mexico in 1950. Let's click and see and hear some amazing stuff. So that's how I've been spending my work day is just listening to a con picking a country picking a decade seeing what happens and again that website is called radio with five o's thanks again to sarah do follow her on twitter at sarah with an h merck m-i-r-k guys it's that time of the episode let's all hold hands and cry here is your bad news mm. My first bad news item is about water. Remember um, how that was like a hot story for a second? Oh, you mean like flinched? when some people had bad water but then didn't actually get it fixed and mm -hmm. now they don't get free water anymore? And they totally coincidentally were like poor people and mm -hmm. like people of color yep. and poor people of color. Uh, yes, that was a big story for a little bit. And then it sort of became a, a broader issue when... Certain journalists pointed out, like, hey, you know that a lot of people in rural communities don't have access to clean water, right? Yeah. In fact, like, a lot of people all over the country don't have access mm -hmm. to clean water. Yep. So uh, another story has emerged. Uh, this is from Kansas.com. Kansans apparently have been drinking contaminated water for years, and the state just didn't tell them. Ooh! Now Kansas is always is one of those real fun experiments in like <laughs> smaller government where mm -hmm. they stopped like funding everything, and they were just like, "Yeah, it's cool, whatevs, you're fine." And uh, yeah, so of course, in addition to not making sure the water was clean, they just didn't decide. They decided they were going to cut their budgets and uh, services to the point where they're like, "Sorry, we can't even tell you." Right. And it's important to, um, you know, fund things like uh, water processing plants, because when you don't fund them, uh, you don't have clean water and mm -hmm. then people get real sick. So apparently this guys, state, you also you need water. I mean, well, we're just yeah, like, we I'm really sorry. do need it. Let's so it's just, not like you can say, oh, let's sorry, start guys. with basics. You yeah. are a water carbon based entity. Mm -hmm. And that means you need water to stay hydrated. So you as a human being need to drink water. Right. Yeah. I always think of Morton Joe in mm -hmm. Mad Max. Do not become addicted to water. <laughs> so the state apparently allowed hundreds of residents in two Wichita area neighborhoods to drink contaminated water for years without telling them, despite warning signs of contamination close to water wells used for drinking, washing, and bathing. And Wichita, an actual city. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah like, not even like a little podunk town no no if you're if you're one of those people that thinks well gosh it must only be the really poor ones it's like no this is not just happening on the reservations they have out there it is happening to everyone and the white people yeah yeah uh so uh kansas.com spoke to residents uh who didn't find out for seven years that the the well water was contaminated seven years yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh some fear could uh 22 other sites could be contaminated because the state just hasn't checked them. 
So let's just go out on a limb and say they're probably also contaminated. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Cleaning up the pollution could cost millions of dollars. State law limits the liability of a dry cleaning company, uh, which they think could uh, have to do with the contamination, to $5,000? Hmm. Nope. Uh, Yeah, and there's something called the Kansas Dry Cleaner Environmental Response Act that was passed at the request of the dry cleaning industry to protect the small businesses from the potentially crippling cost of federal involvement. Oh, yes. Like when you're not mm. adequately dealing with the toxic, toxic, chemicals. toxic chemicals <laughs> yeah. that you have to use to, uh, to, to do dry cleaning. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because I feel like when we talk about environmental poisoning stories, mm-hmm. we think about... And I mean, so often that is the case, giant corporations. Yeah. And in this case, you know, there is a dry cleaning industry, but they tend to be owned by small It's like any owners. other small business yeah. trade yeah. association. You know, you can, in a place like Kansas or a place that's incredibly, quote unquote, pro-business, they're going to have a lot of power. But the people who are, uh, they, they may be technically correct when they say that the cost of adhering to high quality environmental standards could be prohibitive. But I also think that like, honestly, that's something that should just be baked into the market. Like mm. it should be expensive to do things that are toxic. Absolutely. And uh, sorry guys, like yeah. don't, yeah. yeah. Or start a dry cleaning business that doesn't use toxic chemicals because those can be very popular. Or don't buy clothes that need to be dry cleaned. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I listen. I can't remember the last time I was at a dry cleaner. Oh, I just I just hand wash them now. Yes, like same, instead because uh, yeah. Pro tip: anything you can go one, like one degree past with the thing. So if it says dry clean only, you can hand wash it. If it says like hand, hand wash, wash, then you could probably put it in a bag and do like a cold water wash yeah. and air dry. Yeah, yeah. that is true. So the the chemical that they're specifically honed in on is called PCE. Uh, When consumed, PCE can build up over time, potentially harming a person's nervous system, liver, kidneys, and reproductive system. Ooh. It's the whole shebang. This is fun. Like when I found out that the flame retardants that get used on most furniture only secretes out of women's bodies through their breast milk. So Uh literally the only way you can get rid of it is if you pass it on to your tiny infant. Great. Fun times. Cool, cool, cool. Exposure for long periods to PCE can cause changes in mood, memory, attention, reaction time, and vision. Studies have suggested that the chemical might lead to a higher risk of bladder cancer, uh, multiple melanoma, or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Cool. Just as many different fun (laughs) kinds as possible. So, like, everything. Yeah. Amazing. This this reminds me a little bit, and I'm sorry for the tangent, but it was a BuzzFeed investigation from a few years ago about a town, a suburb in New Jersey, where it turns out there was toxic waste that had been buried in the city. Oh, yeah. And so, like, tons of kids all got cancer and, like, died by the time they were, like, 25. Oh, God. Um, I'll see if I can find the piece because it's really good. But it is one of those things where it doesn't take very much to suddenly create, like, cancer clusters, massive illness, like, classic Aaron Brockovich stuff. And it's literally, like, just where you fall on the socioeconomic mm -hmm. scale. If you are a poor person, your chances of being exposed, not just to dangerous chemicals, but, like, polluted air, skyrocket. Mm -hmm. Um, and those things end up being comorbid. Like you end up, yeah. you know, you have like bad lungs, you have bad, uh, um, you know, bad water, like all of it. It's so terrifying. Right. Also in bad news, we talked about this on Friday's episode uh, because we were talking about the guy in California who was arrested for threatening the lives of Boston Globe employees. And I oh, was like, yes. how has Trump not been convicted of incitement? Mm-hmm. Well, this fits in uh, that, uh, that theme. At a dinner with evangelical leaders held at the White House on Monday, Donald Trump warned of violence if Republicans lose power in the midterms. According to audio recording obtained by NBC News, he said, quote, you're one election away from losing everything that you've got. If the GOP loses, they will overturn everything that we've done and they'll do it quickly and violently and violently. There's violence. 
When you look at Antifa and you look at some of these groups, these are violent people. That's not true. He said violent four times in one yeah. sentence. <laughs> Partly because he also has worms in his brain. <laughs> yeah, but well, also yeah. because he's, you know, he uses the words because that's just going to make every, the next thing anyone thinks of is, oh yeah, violent, 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 violent. It is mildly depressing that all it takes for him, and he is a very stupid man. Oh, he is profoundly stupid and clearly is suffering from some sort of decline. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, but all it takes for him to brainwash other people is to repeat something enough. Mm-hmm. Like he repeated Cro- Crooked Hillary so many times they just believed it. So many. And then here he is again saying violent, 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 violent. Again, Nazis in Charlottesville killed uh, an anti-fascist protester. It is Trump supporters calling in with violent threats to newspapers. And yet... If he says, we're the violent ones enough, his supporters will believe it. Yeah. Because and then they think they're acting in self-defense. Right. They have to protect themselves because it's going to happen. They need to be ready for it. They need to be prepared. Otherwise, we'll never, they'll never survive. Right. It's like, also, we can't undo the justice, all of the like fucking judges that just got appointed so that Chuck yeah. Schumer and his buddies could leave two days, like actually get home for the long weekend. Like that stuff's not going to go away. Oh, and also let's talk about who's overturning everything. That is what the Trump administration is doing with all of Obama's Absolutely. achievements. Yeah. All of them. Like it is their goal to make it so it was like he was never president. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk about who's overturning everything, it's the Republicans. That's what's so infuriating about them. They have like inverted reality to the point where they have convinced themselves they're victims yeah when they are a crazed fascist regime that is violent and like destroying the world and they're like no we're the victims no it's terrible you're taking they're going to take your freedom like yeah your freedom to be a giant racist shitbag (laughs) in public sorry i don't think you should have the freedom to be a giant racist shitbag in public sorry how dare we i know uh so Speaking of this fascist regime, I love how various members of either the administration or like tangentially related to the administration (laughs) keep getting exposed as white nationalists and like Nazis and racists. (laughs) So the publisher of a website that serves as a platform for white nationalism was a guest last weekend at the home of Trump's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. Nothing to see here, guys. <laughs> that was me casually whistling. So Peter Brimelow attended the gathering, a birthday bash for Kudlow. Ooh. Is it Kudlow or Kudlow? Kudlow. I think it's Kudlow. Kudlow. Uh, one day after a White House speechwriter was dismissed in the wake of revelations that he spoke, he had spoken alongside, alongside Brimelow on a 2016 panel. So we have a top economic advisor and we have a White House speechwriter, both hobnobbing with white nationalists. And then the Trump administration has the gall to turn around and act surprised when people accuse them of being a white nationalist regime, which they are. Yes, it is explicitly a white nationalist regime. Fun times, guys. Fun, fun, fun times. There are Nazis in the White House. There are Nazis in the White House. There are Nazis in the White House. Oh, good, more Nazis. More Nazis. Representative Steve Scalise, who's the majority whip, uh, you know, went on record and says, I, I, I hate, I hate hate groups, but also acknowledged on Monday that he may have spoken at a white supremacist conference led by notorious former Ku, Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke in 2002. In 2002. Two. Are you ready for his excuse? Yep. By the way, this is the third highest ranking Republican leader in the House. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know who all of these groups were and I detest any kind of hate group. <laughs> For anyone to suggest that I was involved with a group like that is insulting and ludicrous. So he's either lying and mm-hmm. he just doesn't mind the white nationalists or he and his staff are so stupid and incompetent that mm-hmm. nobody decided to vet mm-hmm. what kind of uh, things. And also maybe just the fact that I was like, David Duke is not an unfamiliar character. You're an old man. You definitely remember when David Duke was running for president. Yeah, like I wouldn't put it past him and his people that they're stupid, but he knew. No, he, he knew. He knew. It's 2002. Everybody knows David Duke. Come on. Come on. This is why I fucking lost it when the day after the election, I went to UCB and I was like, we were talking about like, you know, how did this happen? 
And I was like, well, a bunch of racists and sexists voted for Trump. And this guy in my class went, come on, do you think half the country is racist and sexist? And you were like, and I was like, yeah. at least half the country is racist and sexist. Conservative estimate, easy. <laughs> like, how do you not see that? But it, it, it becomes clearer when we see how many members of the Republican. And by the way, I'm not just saying Republicans are racist. There are shitloads of racist Democrats, too. But when we see how many high, high-ranking Republicans... They just don't see a problem with it. No. And that's the... It's the, the good people on both sides. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Even if you're not, like, actively supporting the KKK and white supremacist groups, if you sort of, like tacitly approve of them by saying like you know yeah there are good people on both sides or you know uh well i don't personally believe this but i like you know i respect everyone's belief you are encouraging fascists yes if you don't expressly reject it you're aiding them mm -hmm. yeah yeah right guys guys it's that time of the episode let's end things on a positive note shall we here's your good news so good news uh let's start with the tallahassee election oh hell yeah yeah this is a big fucking deal guys so tallahassee uh, um just elected a democrat a very progressive mayor in andrew gillum and he uh, you know believes that that we should have universal health care we should abolish ice very progressive platform and if you haven't been following the gubernatorial election in Florida, it got super racist. Oh, it got super racist. So, you know, obviously it goes without saying, Andrew Gillum is a black man. And he was up against a Republican named Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, is a congressman. <laughs> and he was uh, doing an interview on Fox News and was talking about the election, was talking about his opponent, Gillum, and said, the last thing we need to do is monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. Hmm. I feel like I've heard like white people refer to people of color as monkeys before and well, it tends not to be a very good idea so not only would you have to be fucking oblivious not to know that calling a black person a monkey is incredibly racist but listen i'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility that monkeying something up is an expression i've never heard it before i mean only maybe in the context of like if you're reading a Curious George yeah, book. Yeah, like it's, maybe it's a regional thing. I don't know, but like. I, no. I've I literally never heard that as an expression. And also, even if it is an expression, you would have to be a fucking idiot not to know that maybe I should find a different word when I'm talking about my opponent who's a black man. You monkey around. You don't monkey up. Right, right. Uh, so obviously a lot of people, there was a huge backlash to his comments he was accused of uh, using racist dog whistles, which I think it's pretty clear he was. Uh, didn't fucking matter. Uh, Andrew Gillum won. Uh, he beat out several better funded and more moderate candidates. He really surprised a lot of people. Oh, it was abs. He was not on the radar. This is like very clearly the result of people in Florida recognizing how unbelievably toxic uh, having Republicans in charge has been to mm -hmm. them and for their lives and deciding that they want to get someone in there who actually believes something different than, you know, Rick Scott. I just wonder, listen, I have no hope for the Democrats. Nope, never. Uh, <laughs> ever. I never, ever do. But when you look at Cortez, when you look at Gillum, it's, mm -hmm. it's what, is, what is it going to take for the, the party leaders to understand that more and more voters are rejecting so-called yeah. moderate Democrats. Well, and I think that like one thing that I, I already expect that this will not happen, but the narrative, if these candidates, some of these candidates don't win, the narrative after the election should not be that their messages weren't 
good enough. Right. The message should be it's time to invest more strongly in candidates like that because they have the ability to inspire and incite people that has not worked for more moderate or centrist Democrats. Right. And this is time, like, it's it's a sign that people have different interests. And I think, like, you know, what is it? The women are more likely to not run again if they lose. Like, But right. this is to say, like, you should be finding more people of color, more women, more people, like, from marginalized communities to be running for office rather than uh, looking and saying, oh, well, that was a failed experiment because it's one midterm election at a time that's incredibly divisive right. and there's a lot of very talented people. I mean, people. probably they jump on that narrative of, oh, well, I guess it didn't work because they don't like people like Ocasio-Cortez. Well, everybody's afraid of the socialists. Yeah, they're like the red scare all over again. Listen, socialism is polling higher right now than capitalism. So yeah. Maybe if they want to win elections, they should uh, embrace socialism. Oh yeah. Oh, have we did have we talked about um, all of the Texas Senate Beto tweets? Oh, uh, the, his tweets. No, 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 the tweets about him from the Texas GOP. Uh, which that was, he's hot. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we can. I mean, I think that's good news, yeah, don't yeah. you? Uh, I <laughs> I actually don't know. I just saw there was a headline that they won't stop talking about how hot he is. Okay, so there. Ted Cruz is uh, Ted Cruz running a very contentious re-election campaign against uh, Beto O'Rourke, is forty-five-year-old former punk rocker, mm-hmm. and like you know, quite he's now within a point of Cruz, and they haven't been able to agree on terms for a debate, so they're not having one. So the Texas GOP decided that it was the state party decided it was a good idea to send out a series of I think three tweets that's like, I'm sorry, I was too like I couldn't debate, I was too busy, and one of them is with him and a skateboard the other one is the album cover from his band when he's like 21 <laughs> years old and has his um and is wearing a dress uh-huh. and also looks super fine yeah and then the third one is his mugshot from a drunk driving arrest in the early I mean, 90s i love i i mean i don't um, love drunk driving but i love that they thought using his but fo- oh yeah okay i haven't seen the photos okay i mean yeah. i would also definitely bail young drunk Beto out but yes the whole also don't drive drunk yeah don't do that yeah uh I will say though that yes the idea that the Texas GOP seemed to think that like pointing out how this guy uh drinks definitely parties and has absolutely had sex like (laughs) truly truly the dumbest one truly the dumbest (laughs) one is was in a band because like I mean, how many young people are like, I'm in a band? Yeah, you know? I know. Like, what, what, okay, so he's so. cool. So apparently the, the Texas GOP has also responded to a lot of people saying that these tweets were good by saying it's like, just out of touch liberals thinking it's okay for a guy to wear a dress. Oh. <laughs> Why are you so miserable? I uh, mean, first of this all, is, it's cool for anybody to wear a dress. You like, know what Ted cool Cruz was doing when pants. he was 21? He was a mime. <laughs> that's why people were talking yes, about mimes yesterday. That's, that's why Parker okay. Malloy, uh, the greatest of all time, uh, <laughs> just cut out and like dropped the background out of the Ted Cruz in a mime photo oh. and then started photoshopping him into different My pictures. God. <laughs> Guys, oh. <laughs> uh, anybody can wear a dress just like anybody can wear pants because clothes are not inherently gendered. Yeah. Also, in the early 90s, Everybody wore dresses. It was just the cool thing to do. Yeah. Have you ever seen an early Nirvana video? My God. Holy shit. Nobody rocked a dress like Kurt Cobain. Oh my God. He was so, so hot. hot. So hot. Yeah. Timeless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wear a dress if you want to fucking wear a dress. It's cool. Yeah. And it should not stop you from running for Senate Never. or humiliating someone as awful as Ted Cruz. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse, say it with me, than being a mime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true i know mimes and they're great uh i i also know people who are clowns and in clowning school Mm -hmm. and it's not easy it is an art form it's just funny to me that ted cruz was a mime (laughs) yeah i I bet he was bad at it too oh i bet he was really (laughs) bad at it i mean i've seen him we we saw him in that uh what was it the scarlet letter he did like yes yes this is acting yeah mm -hmm. oh he's terrible oh yeah uh, so, also in good news, uh, Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill eliminating money bail in California, mm. which is a, a huge fucking deal. This goes further than any other state in the country to move money from pre-trial detention. Um, 
And, you know, obviously bail is a huge issue in the United Enormous States. Enormous issue. In addition to, like, tickets and fines and stuff like that. But basically, long story short, in the United States, we're not supposed to have debtor's prison. I was going to say money bail is debtor's prison, period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meaning you're not supposed to be able to be locked up by the government just because you're poor. But effectively, that's what cash bail does. Absolutely. Um, if you just don't have a huge amount of cash on hand you cannot get out of prison mm -hmm. yeah even if you like haven't had a trial set up or even like charges brought against mm -hmm. you uh you can languish in prison for yeah. a while I, I mean this is this is what happened there is like the the ostensible reason why uh the the tragic case of Khalif Browder went yeah. as it did you know this poor child gets ends up getting sent to Rikers after being accused of stealing a backpack which and he didn't fucking did do. not do uh but his family couldn't pay bail and yeah. he ended up spending three years on Rikers before he finally was freed and eventually ended up taking Dying his own suicide, life yeah. uh and like that was he because was, he was tortured. Yeah, and a lot of people believe like you know he had PTSD from being in Rikers because it is if well he's also a child and they had him in solitary as well. Which is a form so, of torture. You know, yeah, uh, but yes, this is the and that is not an unusual thing. You can find people in jails for months at a time because they are incapable of paying even a few hundred dollars worth mm -hmm. of bail. Um, and that's not even getting into the industry of bail bondsmen and the usurious amounts of money that they'll charge families in order to get stuff taken care of. Like it's a whole system that gouges poor families and people of color uh, that like takes all of the nastiness of the payday loan mm -hmm. and uh, like the payday loan industry and grafts it on top of mass incarceration. Yeah. So this is a huge deal. I mean, whenever anything happens in California, it's a big deal because it is a massive state mm -hmm. and there are, you know, millions and millions of people who live there. Um, so it's a big fucking deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you have another recommendation that we didn't get to? Did I have another recommendation? I'm trying to remember I thought now. I like cut you off. Maybe not. It oh, I might have. And now I'm not sure if I don't remember it. Oh, damn it. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, think on it, because I, I do have more good news. I mean, I'm here for more good news, absolutely. Also in California, California just became the first state to denounce corrective intersex surgery on children. Mm -hmm. uh, so what that means is sometimes a kid is born intersex, so that means they are born with ambiguous genitals that do not fall neatly into cisgender male and female categories. And horrifically, parents have the ability to like to have their kids have corrective surgery. Yeah. Now, the reason that's super dangerous is you have no way of knowing yeah. whether you're doing your correction is actually going to ultimately align with the gender that yeah. they identify. There's with. also nothing physically wrong with your child. No. Absolutely they not. are completely healthy. Mm -hmm. They just happen to have been born intersex. So there's absolutely no medical need for them yeah. to have that surgery. And also it's important to point out exactly how uh, wide the range of things that could be counted as ambiguous genitalia can be. Mm -hmm. We're talking anything from, you know, being born with a micro penis or having an extra enlarged Large clitoris. clitoris. Like yeah. these are, and you know, both of which are perfectly normal, totally perfectly normal. fine things that lots of people have. And Genitals are yeah. like snowflakes. I mean, they really are. We're all different. So it's really weird to have like a quote unquote normal standard of what mm -hmm. genitals should look like. And if you stray from that, people can like do major surgery on you mm -hmm. and potentially like, you know, do something that you'll have to contend with as an adult. You yeah. Know? So... Um, obviously it's bananas that parents can elect uh, to do that. So it's really important that California became the first state to condemn those kinds of corrective surgeries. Uh, they should probably be outlawed. Yes, I would agree. They should be outlawed. Yeah, it doesn't. So this was uh, SCR 110. It doesn't outright ban the surgeries, but advocates hope it will send a message to doctors who continue to support the practice. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that's kind of a, clearly an intermediate step because yes. uh, California is on the front edge of this and there's still so many different battles that are being fought when it comes to like even places like California protecting people who are trans or gender nonconforming or you yeah. know queer in some way. But this is still important well, because it creates like it does create social pressure that exactly. can help people and hopefully will provide remedies 
like allow people who have been harmed by the surgery at some point to like get some sort of recourse. Yes. And like in my opinion, this was sort of the, the, the path that the people who were posing like conversion camps mm-hmm. took, which was at first just sort of a call to condemn it, call it a human rights violation, and now states are just banning it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that is traditionally the path that's taken where it's like, can we all just get on the same page that this is fucked up? <laughs> you know? And then it and then maybe like let's outlaw it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it certainly, certainly needs to be outlawed because there's nothing wrong or dangerous or bad about being born intersex. It's just once again how cis people respond to it that's very fucked up. Yeah, incredibly. Yeah. I have nothing to add there. I'm totally <laughs> You're on board. Yeah. You're on board. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, speaking of teachers going on strike, um, did we talk about this already in Washington? Uh, I think I just vaguely mentioned it. Okay. But. So, thousand, nearly 80,000 students in Washington State, um, I love how this is phrased, were unable to attend the first day of school. Oh, poor babies. Um, thousands of teachers went on strike for higher salaries and, uh, and better working conditions. And I'm sure those 80,000 students want their teachers to be happy. Yeah. And also, let's remember that Washington, just like Oregon, is not the monolith of its one largest, most famous progressive city. These, as it says, southwestern Washington. So we're talking as far away from uh, Seattle as you would get. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are not going to be rich areas. Those are not going to be places that have uh, a lot of resources necessarily. They're not going to be places where I would expect to see, um, you know, where you think this isn't a question of like, oh, these these like greedy teachers just want something more, which I know is the typical anti-union argument. But um, once again, people don't go on strike unless they're really, really determined to fight back against a serious injustice. It's also super hard to get like five people on the same page, let alone thousands of teachers. So chances are if they're striking, shit's real bad. Uh, Also Reuters, it's really fucked up to frame it as teachers depriving students of an education. You know, you know, like, you know what else deprives students of an education? Unqualified teachers who don't have, uh, who don't have to adhere to high quality licensing standards or who don't stick around long enough to give them continuity of education because they can't get paid enough. Or how about not having up-to-date textbooks or having black mold in your classrooms or having mushrooms growing in the hallway? Or having no heat like the children of Baltimore did all last winter. Yeah, those seem like bigger hurdles to receiving an education than teachers going on strike. Or if you're really worried about students mm-hmm. not receiving adequate educations, mm-hmm. maybe address food security, mm-hmm. maybe address yeah. violence in communities. These are bigger reasons why students can't focus in the classroom mm-hmm. than like Mrs. Yeah. Anderson goes on strike so she can buy bread. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's worth mentioning and, and emphasizing that when teachers go on strike over quote unquote higher salaries, they're also going on strike because they want support and guarantees that they can have the ability to, to help kids yes. with all of those problems you just mentioned because yeah. they recognize obviously recognize that these things are all interconnected and they're fucking educators. They love children. You don't teach unless you care deeply about the kids that are coming through your classroom. You do not go into teaching to make money. No. You 100% do it because you love your students. You value their education. That is why we hear about so many teachers using their own money to buy Mm -hmm. school supplies. Oh, that's totally fucking greedy. If they were greedy, they wouldn't spend their money on the kids. You know, and now that's become normal. Yeah. So the idea that there's something offensive about teachers depriving the kids of an education when they're the ones that are providing the school supplies, setting up the fundraisers if they need to get something more like more specific or a sort of bigger ticket, who are the ones who are working second jobs so that they can manage to afford things, who are themselves sometimes on food stamps yeah. or some sort of assistance because they're you know, so low, like poorly paid, like they're also like, they're doing that for the kids and they deserve to be compensated because the kids will be better off. Support your fucking teachers, you monsters. I don't know why I'm saying that to you guys. I know you support your teachers. I know a lot of you are teachers. So thank you for your service. Why don't we thank teachers for their service? Um, Well, I mean, we can thank them on, well, we we are thanking them on Labor Day. What with the uh, unions and the badassery of a bunch of women who were teachers for many years now still being uh, underpaid and underappreciated and still doing a shitload of organizing to make sure that their rights are respected. Y'all are badasses. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your service. Happy Labor Day. 
thank you, Meredith, for co-hosting with me unexpectedly in the second hour. <laughs> hey, I always love a marathon. <laughs> Please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. If you had any thoughts about today's episode, hashtag Light Trees and Pod. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs>